Welcome back, everyone. Uh, this is the uh, fourth in my weekly podcasts that I'm calling them, uh, where I just kind of spend some time here, uh, share some of my thoughts in a somewhat less formal way, sermon, and just kind of reflections on what life is like, uh, things that we're going through. I uh, hope you have some, gives you some good food for thought or some things to think about uh, while we're all kind of cooped up here. Uh, Lord of Grace, we are still staying close until uh, at least May 11th. We're going to meet again as a council on that date and decide what we want to do. Right now, the recommendations coming from the Synod, the CDC, are that we not have large group gatherings. So we'll have to see how this all turns out. But just again, to keep a heads up, uh, we are for sure not having any services uh, uh, through at least May uh, 11th, so worship uh, next Sunday. Um, now, uh, all this, of course, is uh, very frustrating. It's been frustrating for me, kind of a planaholic. I like to know what's coming ahead and think it through, and this whole situation just doesn't give you that. Uh, doesn't give you that possibility. You're always having to think on your feet and adapt. You don't know what's going to happen from week to week, and if you a planaholic like me, it'll drive you absolutely nuts. But I have finally started to get to a point where I feel like I can think ahead a little bit. First week, first week all this happened, I was just, it was just kind of hectic, frantic, like what in the world do we do? You know, so I'm gathering church leaders and we're trying to figure out uh, things like finances. And um, in the second week, it took me an extra week to figure out how to do the video online service. Some people had it right away. It took me another week. Uh, but at least I got something thrown up by March 29th. The third week was Holy Week. And so that week, it was all about trying to crank out two video services during the busiest week of the year. Uh, and we did it. And I think they came up pretty well. I had some great help in doing it. Good Friday, we had our Stations of the Cross service. We produced a Easter service. And all sorts of people chipped in, some of them, for example, sending music in, recording it, and sending it in online. So that was great. Uh, they're both still on YouTube if you want to see them. I th again, I think we do as good of a Stations of the Cross service here as any Good Friday service I've done. Uh, not to brag. Yeah, but I kind of am bragging. So, but anyways, I think I've got at least a decent handle on all this video production. So it's allowed me to start thinking about the next steps. And what occurred to me after a couple people brought it up was that we're not really going to be able to just jump right back to worship. We're not going to be able to have a sort of the plague is over, let's call, come out and celebrate party. That's kind of what I'd initially thought. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's more likely that we're going to have this drawn out period of having some sort of gatherings, but not large ones. And we're still going to have people who are too much at risk to come to worship or maybe are too nervous, and for good reason. Uh, we're still going to have all sorts of restrictions on how many people we can have at a time, how far apart we're going to be, whether we can do communion or handshaking or singing. It's probably no to most of those. And this could go on until January, which is really a sobering thought. It kind of hit me hard when I thought about that. 
I know when the Spanish flu hit, it was worse. It had a second wave that was far worse than the first because everybody relaxed the, the restrictions too quickly. Um, but anyway, so all this has got me thinking that maybe the thing for us to do now is not to try to figure out how to get back to what we had before or try to recreate something as close as we can to what we had before, but to think of it as a period of opportunity to get back to some of the basics of church and Christian life. So what do I mean by that? Well, Christianity, for the first 300 years, had no buildings. They met in houses or they met underground, but they did not have dedicated church buildings. So the size of their congregations was always limited. And yet, they grew like crazy. So how did they do it? I think they did it the same way that a lot of missionaries and new Christian communities do, even in our world today. I discovered this, I spent some time last year for my continuing education, reading up on mission work in non-Christian countries. I wanted to know what did those early Christian communi communities do, those, what did those early missionaries do, the ones a few hundred years ago. And I found a pattern that seemed to be true at least a lot of the time, and it went something like this. A missionary would go into a country, and I did a lot of my reading on China, India. I wanted to focus on places that were not Christian and did not have much of a history of Christianity. And uh, they would go in and they'd set up a mission outpost. They would invest in community development. Often that would involve building schools or translating texts. Uh, they would often put up free clinic for people. And after that, they would start working on church. And usually, for the first several years, they would get very few converts. Uh, it would just lots and lots of rejection, over and over. But they would get few, and those few would come together, and they'd start a Bible study or something small, and they'd have a little community there. And if the missionaries had enough money, they might build a church building, make it feel a little bit more permanent. But then, inevitably, and this was almost every time, something would happen that would force the missionaries to leave. Uh, there'd be a civil war, a rebellion, an expulsion. Something would happen. And then the new Christians would have the church and the mission outpost all to themselves. The Europeans were gone. The Americans were gone. And uh, at that point, the indigenous people would take over. And they would usually go through this hard period of keeping people together, of meeting in secret or in homes. Sometimes there would be persecution. And then they would grow. So there was a pattern. The missionaries would plant. The missionaries would get expelled. The local people take over. And then there's growth. And if you look at this, you realize that this is not a quick pattern. Sometimes it would be decades before anything big happened. And it was also highly dependent on lay people taking ownership of the spiritual life of the church and taking ownership of its growth and evangelism. And none of it, none of it had to do with having big, open, public worship services 
It was all home groups, Bible studies, personal testimonies, prayer groups, relationships. Now, compare that to how we operate in the West, particularly America these days. Most of us, those of us who aren't home churches or storefronts, we, we have buildings and we open them up with advertised worship times and we do our best to put on the best presentation we can. We'll tell you it's not a show, but we all kind of worry that if the sermon's not good or the music's not inspiring, that visitors will go somewhere else. And we say it's not a show, but at some level we kind of think of it like that. We do have lots of people who are very faithful in the community, who get to know other members, and they socialize, they get involved, they uh, help them out with their kids need babysitting or whatever. There, there is a good connection among a lot of people. But then there's usually also a group that just comes to worship and does nothing else. And there's a lot of reasons for this, but it does present some problems when a virus comes along that forces you to shut down your big service. So now, how do we stay connected? How do we stay engaged? How do we continue to operate as a church when that big event of the week that everything revolved around is canceled? And right now, we're tur turning to the internet, like I'm doing right now, because we can't do gatherings in person. But, you know, I'll be the first to admit it. You know, watching a service online with the family, that it's, it's super convenient to be able to get up late and, and hobble your way over to the couch in your pajamas and drink a hot cup of coffee. It's not the same thing as being at a worship service. And since I'm the de facto church video production person, my teenage kids will then sit and give me a weekly scolding on all of my production flaws and how I failed to live up to the standards of a good YouTuber. Uh, and occasionally they will point out that I did do something right. Uh, but uh, pulling everyone back into the content and not debating transitions and slide colors can be a challenge. But I will say this, it's it is nice to be there as a family uh, together and doing some sort of worship as a family. And uh, I do miss that. You know, as a pastor on Sunday mornings, I'm coming in early and my kids go to different services and one's running the tech room and one's running Sunday school. And so while we're all involved, it's not a family thing in the same way. Uh, so I guess we get that element of it while I get my weekly, you're not a good YouTuber scolding. Uh, but, you know, it's not the same thing. And uh, so what do we do, you know, as a church? Well, we, you know, we look at our screens on Sundays. We, we talk via Zoom. Uh, thank God we have that ability. You know, we have this video conferencing. We can still have meetings. I can still have my Wednesday Bible studies. Uh, but it all kind of has this feeling of being kind of patched together, kind of like we're MacGyvering the church, you know, that, that, that we don't really know if this is uh, the way we want to be, but it's kind of the best we're doing and we're making do with it as we as quickly as we can but it's also feels a little bit like we're trying to hold on to the old large group model as long as we can but what if it is the case that this corona thing wears on 
and we can't do large services for months. Will we all still keep watching? I mean, are we, are we still going to be okay with Zoom meetings? Or are we going to be Zoomed out? I won't lie. Some days I feel Zoomed out. But it is still a good tool, and I'm still going to use it. Or, you know, will this show start to lose out to all the other shows that compete for our attention? Will online service become one option among online lots of things? And I think that's kind of everyone's worry, at least those of us in pastor world. And I don't think it's unfounded. If, if your connection to the faith is all about the big service, whether one enjoys the music and the sermons and the friendliness and the building and, you know, if all that's taken away, what do we have left? And this is why I'm starting to think that this could be a really good time to rethink the whole model. That maybe instead of trying to just rebuild the, old, the big services online, we could see this as our missionaries getting chased out of town moment. This could be our opportunity to get back to basics and rebuild our church around relationships and scripture. This could be our time to make it all about personal connections and Bible study and prayer groups. This could be our time to focus on our faith as individuals. This could be our time to go back to the basic model of the house church, to build on that foundation for a while before everything is allowed to go back to our big services. There's a ver one of the passages that always sticks out to me when I think about this topic is Acts 4. Uh, here goes, it started, starting at verse 31. When they had prayed, so this is all the disciples, they're in the temple, they just gave a big speech. When they, the disciples, had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, those of us who are kind of nerdy scholars tend to think that this was probably a little bit of an idealized picture of the early church. We don't think that every single person sold every single possession. But it is interesting that this is the ideal. No private property, communal living, all the money goes into a central pot to be redistributed by the disciples who were not elected. They were chosen by the Holy Spirit. This is what Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, this is what he wants you to think it was like. 
But what's interesting is that it was all about the community. That's what made them strong. That's what built up the church. And in that environment, tons of new people came to Christ, and there were great works of power. It must have been really amazing. And it had nothing to do with production quality of worship services. It was about community and the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. So I come back to the question. Will a church survive COVID-19 if it is not built on a foundation of relationships and scripture and the Holy Spirit? Will it survive if people are not there because they meet people who care about them and know them and share things with them where they experience the power of God? I like to think that we're stronger than that here, uh, but that we might need to brush up on a few things. It is easy to fall out of the habit of a regular Bible study or community gatherings and just fall into the pattern of one hour a week. You know, and, and I've said it before, I get it. I have five kids. I know that scheduling home groups and community gatherings is not an easy thing. But think about this. Right now, we don't have school sports or weekend traveling tournaments. There are no big plays or concerts. There is no Vegas vacation. Vegas is closed. We don't have to compete like we used to have to compete. Everyone's home. And when things start to ease up, I still can't imagine that big sports tournaments are going to be coming back quickly. I think there's going to be a lot of stuff that's allowed to come back on a small scale, but big sports tournaments, I don't see that coming soon. We have a time to say, Let's hold off on trying to recreate the big services and focus on rebuilding our relationships with God and with each other. Let's not jump back in, but take a step back. Now, I know, I, I know not everyone's going to go for this. I have no illusions that everyone's going to jump into a small group. I have no illusion that even a majority will. And I know we're going to need to continue to have online services and social media posts to keep everyone connected. I know I and the Lord of Grace prayer team are going to keep calling people and checking in. I know not everyone's on the internet. And I know that there will be people who I don't see again until we have big services. But just because just because not everyone's going to do that, doesn't mean we can't, with those who are willing, do something powerful and rebuild some of the foundations of our church on that ancient solid ground of community and relationships and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So that's my sort of initial vision for some, for some time after the band's start getting lifted. You know, let's not reinvent the wheel, but go back to the way Christianity has thrived around the world for centuries. And, of course, now that I've said all that, 
now that I've said all that about this great vision of returning to uh, groups and faith, I'm going to tell you uh, to go check out our website because for now at least, that is still the best place to get news and information about things that are going on. And um, it's still the best place to get the links to stay in touch on the internet. I am still going to tell you to check out our Facebook page where we post stuff. And I'm still going to tell you to watch the recorded services on YouTube. And it's what we have now and are going to have for a while. But if you're interested in being a part of something cool in the interim, you know, when we can have these small but not super big meetings, then definitely let me know. I'm going to be making calls. I'm going to want to see who wants to be a part of this experiment or trying to rebuild, even if it really is only a temporary thing. And that's okay. Uh, but if you're definitely interested, let me know. Um, I, I really do believe that this is an opportunity to, you know, this is one of those moments uh, to seize the day and uh, to take advantage of uh, some of the opportunities given us in an admittedly very unfortunate way uh, and revisit what it means to be the church. So God bless everyone. Thanks for listening in and uh, follow us and I hope to see you soon one day uh, when it's all over and we can be back together again. So God bless.